Hello travelers, welcome to the Mwende Wino podcast. Mwende Wino translates to go well in several Zambian languages and is a way that we use to bestow travel mercies upon people who are embarking on a journey. This podcast aims to inspire you to explore your city, your country, your continent and beyond. Each episode features a conversation with people who embody what traveling well means to them. My name is Mazuba Kapambwe, and I am your host. Now, today's episode is very exciting um, for me in particular because my guest is the lovely Greta Francesca Iori. Hi, Greta. How are you doing? Hi, Maz. I'm so well. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Now, Greta is a wildlife crime conservation and sustainable development expert. Um, Greta also runs the travel and photography blog, Chronicles of an Itolopian. And yes, Yes. I say it right? Yeah. Awesome. And Greta will be telling us about her career, her travels, and give us tips on how to plan um, a trip to Ethiopia, which is our what our episode is about. It's how to help you plan your first trip to Ethiopia. Now, Greta and I know each other because we actually went to high school together, right, Greta? We did. Yes, we did. <laughs> many, many years ago. Feels like a lifetime ago for me. It feels like, you know what I remember from Thingy from Sanford is like, um, I think you were voted what most likely to succeed. I remember that. I think, I don't even remember what I was voted most sociable for sure. And most, that's so funny. I, how do you even remember that? I don't know. I just have like brief little like flashbacks. <laughs> that's so great. Yes. Yes. It was a good time at Sanford we had. Yeah. And speaking of um, Ethiopia, so you're part um, Ethiopian and part Italian, right? Yes. Yes. And um, you spent um, most of your formative years traveling through Ethiopia, and you've mentioned um, before how your parents made it a priority for you and your brother to see the country. Can you tell us some of your fondest memories traveling as a child? Yes, so indeed you're right. My parents really made it um, a priority for us to get to know our country before we were going to go travel around the world, and I think this was really important and really stuck with me. Um, We were lucky enough to have a small cabin at a crater lake called Lake Langano in the south of um, Ethiopia, about 200 kilometers south of the capital, and I think that's one of my most, like my most memorable time is spending time with the family in Langano over the years. We'd spend entire summers there. We'd explore caves. We'd go fishing, water skiing. And it was just utter freedom, mm-hmm. like the original digital detox. You know, there was no no Wi-Fi, no nothing. And so I think the fact that it allowed me to really appreciate the connection to nature and my family and all the friends that we made when we were spending time there is something that I carry with me now still. And I actually do have memories of Langano. So we went to Langano for like, what, a school trip? Yes, yeah. we did. For a geography class trip. Yeah, I remember. And yeah, that was um, an interesting experience. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, being exposed to travel at a young age, I'm sure played a role in your decision to embark on a career in wildlife conservation and tourism. Um, Could you tell us about, you know, your background in terms of what you studied in university and post-grad and how that led to your current career? Yes, so absolutely. I really fundamentally believe that the way you're brought up influences you 
and the lifestyle that you want to live. And I knew at a very young age already that I wanted to do in my life that would allow me to spend a majority of my time in nature and around animals as I really enjoyed um, myself the most when I was doing that. But being someone who grew up in Ethiopia, there was not a lot of options, um, or at least they were not known to me at the time. So what I knew I I didn't want to do was I didn't want to be a zoologist because I fundamentally didn't like zoos. Mm -hmm. I was scared of, of needles and blood to be a vet and biology was actually a, a subject that I found quite boring. <laughs> so I decided to focus on like the most broad term and that was geography and then that led me to look into programs that like studied the management of land, protected areas and the interlink it has with humans and tourism. So I, I was lucky to find a program in the Netherlands in Breda which focused on international tourism management mm -hmm. but I focused all of my modules on natural resource management and sustainability which is how I would then link it back to wildlife and, and national parks. Mm -hmm. um, this was like a perfect foundation because it was broad enough for me to learn all the different ins and out of the commercial side as well as the more sustainable side. And then in my after gaining some some experience after my um, undergrad, I decided to focus my postgraduate more specifically on the conflict of protected area management and humans and development. Um, so this led me to research the illegal wildlife trade, which is how I started working in wildlife crime. Mm -hmm. But really a lot of people do ask me how I made a career from it and I always say it was really kind of a right time right place sort of scenario because I started studying the rhino horde trade at the height of the trade of, of the crisis in 2015 mm -hmm. uh, which then catapulted my career in that world it wasn't something that I really knew I would be doing off the bat when I studied started studying um natural resource conflicts, but it was kind of a right time, right place scenario and something that I'm very passionate about anyway. Definitely. And um, you mentioned, um, I know I've read, I've read interviews where you talked about how I think you went to like the Simeon um, National Park and you convinced the owner to hire you. So that's like you being like, you know, like taking advantage and just like being persistent and, you know, like just creating a career for yourself. Absolutely. I think that was that was right after my undergraduate, in fact. And I just I'm very, very unapologetic about the kind of life that I want to live mm -hmm. and I will do anything to try and live that life. So I did kind of force him to hire me, which worked out well. <laughs> and after funnily enough, after my postgraduate, I had a, a few gigs here and there, um, but I couldn't find a job. I couldn't get the nine to five in London, mm -hmm. no matter how good my grades were, no matter how um, determined I was. So that's also when I decided to set up my own consultancy because I knew that if I was going to tackle the issues that were close to my heart, I, I was going to have to do it on my own at first and prove that they were worthy of other people investing in that. Mm -hmm. And how long have you been running your own um, business? So I'm going into my fourth year now. Awesome. So it's been three years and a half, yeah. Awesome. Um, now, you briefly mentioned like how you're not exactly um, a fan of zoos and I know that um, Addis Ababa has a lion zoo which is essentially a tourist attraction and on your Instagram on like your um, your stories where you talk about some of the current projects that you're working with you've mentioned that you've been working with the Born Free Foundation to um, 
to pretty much, I guess, get the lions in a more suitable habitat and to, um, you know, like work out what is best for the animals. But I mean, knowing that the zoo is actually a tourist attraction, how how can a country essentially find a balance between trying to earn revenue from the animals and, you know, through showing them to the public versus knowing that they're doing the best for the animals? Okay, so one of the great things that since my stories in the day when I was talking about the lions is that the lions do not have its trust, mm-hmm. so it's no longer open to the public. Oh, wow. Um, but we still haven't managed to get those uh, lions a more suitable uh, kind of livelihood at the moment. It's still, it's quite a complex and controversial matter as the, the the lions are owned by the city and the one center that we have where which is born freeze in Sakote center it's a rescue center for big cats is outside of the city so i know that they are working um and trying to lobby the government to release these lions to them so that they have a more suitable lifetime care mm-hmm. um but at this point we've still been unsuccessful and when it comes to your question about how to find balance, how does a country um, make a, a revenue from wildlife and its natural resources without compromising the livelihoods of wild animals? Well, I'm as I said, I'm, I'm a strong advocate against captivity of any animals and especially wild animals. But I do understand that some zoos, for example, around the world <clears throat> are very renowned for research and financing a lot of the conservation programs abroad and in some cases even some wildlife species would not be around if they weren't being um, bred in captivity mm-hmm. but i always believe that what we need is civil society to realize that just because we want to commodify wild animals so that we can see them doesn't make it okay that we take them out of their natural habitats because it impacts them very severely as well as their so- social structures and the way they engage with the environment so I always say that I can't stress enough how the best way to experience wildlife is to go to their natural habitat. Not only does this encourage people to spend money in areas where, which is usually economically deprived, um, so it helps you give an economic value to the wildlife and the protected area, mm-hmm. um, rather than encourage governments to continue to destroy habitats for developments of industrial parks or you know whatever else. And second of all, you'll be helping local communities stay within the areas where they are rather than urbanize, which is a big problem in Africa where everyone is trying to urbanize into the big cities because there aren't opportunities where they are. Mm-hmm. I started encouraging people to go and visit wild animals and natural areas in the spaces that they are found, then it will encourage a better, what we call a wildlife economy. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of, um, thank you for that, Gretchen. Now, speaking of um, areas that are like national parks, for instance, or gate management areas that are in areas where people, close to where people live or, you know, Mm -hmm. where people live. Like you've been working with like, um, you know, people and encouraging them to like take part in conservation efforts. But how, how, I mean, I know it's pretty difficult because, you know, there's pressure on resources, as you mentioned, and, you know, there's um, animals as well. So like in your work, how, how easy or difficult has it been to kind of like convince communities that are in these areas that are close to um, elephants and other animals to work together with you? So, you know, it, it is really challenging. So one of the biggest aspects of my work is human wildlife conflict. So 
it's areas, small areas where there's high conflict between predators or elephants and humans and settlements. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult to change the perception of a community that has suffered very gravely from human wildlife conflict, whether it's the lions and predators or elephants destroying entire crops um, overnight. So the thing that we always deal with is that the communities are very cooperative. Essentially, they just want to be left in peace. They're afraid. They don't want to lose any more of their livelihood. But it isn't as simple because a lot of the times these settlements have expanded into natural habitats of wildlife. So we then have to lobby regional and federal governments on financing the either the resettlement of the entire villages or kind of creating a structure that allows compensate those communities so that they don't then go and kill the animal in retaliation to what they're suffering. Mm-hmm. So it is easy. It, it, it's still something that we're dealing with very, very strongly. Um, and it's going to be something that we have to push to the priority of government's agendas because at the moment it's still being viewed as something that's not important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, you, you've done work, um, you've spoken to, you know, to, to people that are part of the illegal wildlife trade so you you know like with ivory and um you know you've like you've come face to face with poachers who are um you know like how did that feel like just coming face to face, knowing that you're a wildlife conservationist and then you're like speaking to people that are destroying wildlife like how do you keep yourself in check from like being like so angry so yeah you know i always try and 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 keep my calm, my, my nerves calm by saying that in order for me to get to a solution, I need to speak to all the stakeholders, even the perpetrators of crime. And often, you know, surprisingly often, I, I end up not hating the poacher or the perpetrator because it's very often that they're not doing it out of, you know, hate for the nature or wildlife or the animal that they're killing. It's really something that they're doing either through pressure of very, very, very organized crime and networks and individuals, or it's for, you know, the desperation for a livelihood. And very often, you know, I, I get asked that they don't want me to hate them. They don't want me to look at them badly. They would rather, they'd rather work with me if I could provide them a job and so on. Mm-hmm. So because very often the people at the very bottom of the chain are the worst, are the least um, culpable in the entire organized crime network. So they're just doing the hardest part of it, but they don't get any very little, very small percentage of the end, of the end game. So I actually feel very sorry for a lot of those um, poachers because even if they want to get out of it, often if they've gone into that industry, they can't because it is an organized crime and criminal network and therefore they their lives are in danger and therefore they do it out of either blackmail or pressure and fear for their families' lives and their life. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's 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 been difficult, but I always say I have a human heart to the conservation world. I understand that humans are central to us finding solutions, and therefore, if I don't work with humans, including the criminals, if I don't try and understand the problem from a human perspective, we'll never ever find the solution. Um, you're so right, and um, you also uh, via Instagram, I found out that you've been working with the Bole Airport to improve um, pretty much what, like security and, you know, like in terms of like um, ivory and other products that are from the illegal wildlife trade being taken to other countries. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes. So one of 
the kind of overlooked facts about Bolo International Airport is that although we don't have a lot of cases of poaching in Ethiopia due to the fact that our all of our wildlife is very remote, very difficult to see, and usually on border areas that are war prone. Um, but the airport itself being linked, being the home of Ethiopian Airlines, the biggest airline in Africa, and one of the only airlines that links all of Africa to the Far East means that it is a ma major, major hub for traffic. Not only ivory, but all types of skins, rhino horn, live uh, exotic pets, and so on. So when we realized this, we started refocusing on how to strengthen law enforcement at the at the airport, not only at borders on the country. Mm -hmm. And so we're still working towards that because it is quite a complex country when it comes to national security and the players that are involved. But ideally, what we're working towards is launching the first um, sniffer dog unit that would help us identify very difficult to find ivory, leopard skins, lion skins, rhino horn, and so on as sniffer dogs. Um, we'll definitely find it if our machines overlook it or if they're packaged in a way that um, can get past cargo shipments. So hopefully by the end of this year, we'll be able. So we're hoping that 2019, that is a priority to, to put the structures in place now that the new airport is being built. The new terminal, I think, is even finished now. Um, but we're working closely with the authorities to get this done. Awesome. Um now, you just spoke about how a lot of the wildlife in Ethiopia is located in border areas and it's very remote. And you're actually one of the few female wildlife conservationists that I know. And I wanted to find out like how you cope with working in such remote areas and how do you cope with working in what I believe is a very male-dominated world? Like, what is your typical day like? In the okay, so there are many amazing, amazing women conservationists. Um, even now, there's entire scout patrolling that are made up of women. But I agree, we are fighting definitely in a male-dominated world. And although I've been lucky to have been uh, have received incredible support, both for men and women in the conservation arena, uh, as, I, as can be expected, I've also been met with some very uncomfortable scenarios and experiences, especially when in the field in remote areas where you're far from any comfort or um, security, but I always say my best advice to women that work in difficult scenarios is that, especially when they're trying to be, when they're when people are trying to undermine you, challenge you, or intimidate you, um, that you should just stand your ground, you know, breathe through your anger and anxiety, and, and and let your work speak for yourself. That's really what's got me through. At the beginning of my career, I was very much not taken seriously, and it, it took it was very frustrating. Um, but you know, you have to have kind of a headstrong attitude, thick skin, and don't let it get to you. Just keep going. Um, and I always say one of the greatest things that I've brought into my life is fitness and upping my own self-defense mechanisms make me, makes me feel more confident to know that I'm, I can take on anyone if, if I felt unsafe mm -hmm. and that fit enough to take care of myself in the field. And these are things that consciously, if you don't, if you don't feel strong, if you don't feel safe within yourself that it can be difficult um but yeah and um typical day so typical day there's no typical days in my life <laughs> <laughs> but it's usually very different every day depending on what we're doing mm -hmm. but it's very early morning so i always wake up before the sun because um there's no lines in the field you know you're usually you've usually slept bad there's ants everywhere it's wet and humid you just want to get out of there um as soon as the sun starts rising you'll have 
you know, you'll plan meetings with your, your team, your scouts. We'll, we'll kind of suss out which areas we're going to be going to, which tribes we might be talking to, which villages we're visiting. If we're tracking animals, we'll continue tracking them to see if they were close to us, and we'll make notes of that. Um, but, yeah, there's definitely no typical day. Oh, wow. So you have to have a lot of bug spray, essentially. That's- <laughs> yes. It's not, not like uh, insects and creepy crawlies. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah. Um, now, you just spoke about um, working with an all-female unit in South Africa. That is that. Um, those are known as the Black Mambas, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. How was that experience? Oh, it was amazing. They were just starting out when I was with them. Okay. So they're, they're now they've become celebrities, and it makes me so proud. But uh, it was amazing. They're incredible girls, and the the founder Craig Spencer, a good friend of mine, and I always I've always thought it was incredible that it was a man that put this team together, and he's literally such a feminist. And it's because of him that he's been able to prove that having an all women team is far more successful than having a male-dominated anti-poaching unit. And it's just been, it's something that I'm really proud of, and I'm really proud of them. Awesome. Now, turning back to tourism, um, Ethiopia um, has quickly, um, you know, become a major tourist destination, largely in part due to its improved visa policy. So now, before, you know, when I had, when I was trying to come to Addis, I'd have to, apply for a visa before and then you know get it when I get there but now you can essentially apply for a visa online or you can get a visa on arrival if you are from um, a member state of the African Union I believe um, and you were recently selected by I believe it's the Ethiopian tourism organization to work with yeah. them can you tell us more about your role so at the moment, we're still in the stages of structuring exactly what um, tourism Ethiopia wants us to contribute. Mm-hmm. It was an honor to be called on to the team. I think it's very important, based on my background, that the natural aspect of tourism in Ethiopia, which is very overlooked, so nature and the natural resources we're dealing with in protected areas and wildlife and a lot of the illegal crime that's happening in the country is what I'm going to be focusing on raising the profile with the Ethiopian Tourism Organization. They have amazing capabilities with regards to marketing and structuring of tourism itself. So I'm kind of not going to be involved in that as that's more of a commercial side. But I do want to link it into my everyday work, which is really raising awareness about the importance of preserving the wild. Awesome. Well, congratulations on that role. Thank you. Um, So now we're going to get into the second part of the show where Greta is essentially going to give you listeners and travelers um, some of her tips for exploring Ethiopia and we're going to call this Greta's Guide to Ethiopia. Yay! I love it. It has like a little ring to it. (laughs) But before we dive into that, um, I would like to tell you travelers about one of the safest and most reliable as well as affordable ways to get around Addis Ababa because I know after listening to Greta's guide to Ethiopia, you're going to want to go to Ethiopia. So when you get to Ethiopia, make sure you download the ETA app, which is the Ethiopia taxi app. ETA happens to be the first full-service taxi hailing company in Ethiopia with a 24-hour call center, which is available by calling 87 Oh, seven. With the ETA app, you can save money on your ride using promo codes, 
you would know the price of your ride in advance using the price calculator and you can also rate your drivers they also have a prepaid card available for um, corporate clients as well as individuals so you can download the ETA app today via the Google Play Store or the App Store and Greta and I can vouch for ETA because it was started by an, a classmate of ours um, Ambai Tesfaye and his um, his his business partner as well Timiskin right yes I use really reliable it's the best get around awesome so Greta could you please tell us um, just as a whole, like what five places should everyone visit on their first trip to Ethiopia? Okay, so whole country, let's see. I would say as a first time travel to Ethiopia, there are some staples that you cannot, cannot miss. Ethiopia is a very big country and there's lots of different things to do. But I would say my five top recommendations are across the Lalibela, mm -hmm. uh, the city of Gondor, which used to be the historic capital. Um, Simeon or Valley Mountains. So Simeon Mountains are found in the north, and it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And then the Valley Mountains are found in the south, and they're they're very good for trekking and witnessing incredible endemic species of Ethiopia, which include the gelada baboon, Niala, Walia ibex, and the Ethiopian bull. Um, my fourth would be the Garalta Hune churches, also found in the north. But if anyone's afraid of heights, do not do this. <laughs> oh wow! AKA me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, I I have a small fear of heights, but the Geralta Rock Tunes has definitely challenged me. But it's incredible, incredible must see, very very spiritual experience. And then finally, the tribes and the landscapes of the Omo Valley. Awesome. Um, and um, I noticed you didn't mention Lalibela. I did. That was my first one. Oh, okay, okay, cool, awesome. So Lalibela definitely. Um, so now, um, speaking specifically about Addis Ababa, where should we eat? Where should we sleep? What should we do while we are in Addis Ababa? Okay, so to eat, this was really hard. There's lots of amazing places in Addis. And to be very honest, Addis, as you know, Maz, is somewhere that keeps popping up new places. I don't even, I can't even keep up with the time. <laughs> but I'll say my favorite five. Are, one is called Sage Shoro, which is a very local, local Shoro house. Shoro is an Ethiopian stew made out of chickpeas. It's vegan and it's very, very delicious. And they specialize just in Shoro. Um, so Sage Shoro. Second is Castelli, which is one of the oldest and most famous Italian restaurants. Also one of my faves. Then there is Dashan Traditional Restaurant, which I think is a fantastic place if you want to really try all the different cuisines within Ethiopia, all the different stews. It, they specialize in Ethiopian food. Um, then there's Village Addis, which is owned by a good friend of mine, and it's got the best Mexican and cocktails in town, for sure. It's very central as well, so it's kind of my go-to place on a Friday night. Mm -hmm. And last but not least... Um, Aladdin, which is a mid Middle Eastern type food, very very nice, very cozy atmosphere. I love so how you mentioned um, Shiro because that's that's my second favorite in Jeremiel. My first, my favorite is Quanta Fitfit, which oh, is wow. like yes. the dry. That's the dried meat, right? With the mix yes. with Ethiopia with the injera. Injera, unbelievable. Yes. Yeah, like I actually do. I have some Shiro in my house, like now, like some Amazing. like the powder. Oh, no, same. I can't live a week without shuro. <laughs> oh, so so good, and we have um some very good Ethiopian restaurants in in New uh, in New York actually. So next time when you're yeah. here, Greta, like we need to go. We will. We have to. Yeah. I need 
been a long time coming. I need to come to New York. <laughs> no, definitely you must. Um, so what should we do while we are in Addis Ababa? Okay, so these are the five things that I think you can't not do when you're in the city. So first and foremost, I'd say take part in an Orthodox church ceremony. Whether you're a believer or not, it's really very, it's a big part of Ethiopian culture. It's very spiritual. And I've taken friends that are from all sorts of religions and all sorts of cultures. And all of them say that it's one of the favorite things that they've done because of the kind of the chanting and the reading of the giz. and is a very old form of Ethiopian uh, Amharic language, uh, the incredible thumps of the drums, and just the, it's a very fulfilling experience. So definitely get to do that if you can. Second, I'd say, as you know, Ethiopia is a land of coffee. Of course. So, um, and it's one of, and it is the best in the world. And I am being very biased. <laughs> <laughs> I won't disagree with you there. <laughs> you can't visit Ethiopia and not have coffee. So. The coffee is good all over town, but I think my two favorite spots are one of the city's first roasters and a very legendary venue called the Tomoka Coffee Shop. Mm -hmm. And the first was in Churchill Avenue. And then I would say, I suggest the second should be a more traditional ceremony. And if you're not a local, the Hilton Hotel lobby does a lovely one every afternoon. Awesome. And when we we lived in Ethiopia, um, we had... um, our our helper she used to make us like she used to do the the coffee ceremony for us and you know like the coffee is so strong and like yeah so if you're (laughs) gonna have like the make sure you're gonna you have a plan to be up like all night yes exactly it's very good to do do it early in the afternoon (laughs) yeah i would i would highly advise that um and then when you went to the um to the eta office for the ethiopia taxi app um when i was meeting i'm buying his business partner there i think I think I had two cups of coffee that day, like right there. And um, oh. yeah, not the no, best I, idea. <laughs> I know. I mean, for me, I think my body is just immune to it. But most people think it's very strong. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So third mm-hmm. uh, suggestion is you can't miss a, an Italian pastry and a Rico cake, which is found in the old Italian quarter of the city. Um, it's just, we're all obsessed with it growing up. So I think it's something that you should explore and do. Um, fourth, you can't miss a night out at one of the Asmari Bets. So an Asmari Bet is an Ethiopian traditional dance kind of club, but where there's com- like comedy and traditional dance mixed. So it's a really fun night out. And my personal favorite one is one called Fendika in the Kasanchis area. Mm-hmm. And Finally, you can't go to Addis and not get a great massage at Biogenic Beauty Spot. So you can thank me later. Oh my gosh, I'm definitely going to do that next time. Now, speaking of like dance, I've been to Habesha 2000. Yeah, that's also really nice. Yeah, um, and yeah, and, like it's really, it's really interesting. Ethiopia has a lot of tribes. What I think almost 80 something, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, something. Yeah. yeah, and they all have like different dances as well. So like when you go in there, like you see the different dances that are taking place. So that's awesome. And you spoke about participating in a in an Orthodox ceremony. And Timcat is actually coming up. Like as we're recording this, I believe it's what on the twentieth or nineteenth of this month. Yeah, the nineteenth of January. Yeah. Yeah, and um, the last time that the most recent time that I was in Addis, which was two thousand and seventeen January, I. I had the honor of taking a part in the ceremony. So like just, you know, walking with everybody and yeah, like nice. you mentioned, like it's, it's, it's a very, um, it's, a, it's an interesting experience, especially when you're like, you know, when you're, when you're experiencing it, like from the outside, but you're like looking in, 
it's yeah. just like an amazing and that's like one of my favorite things about has always been one of my favorite things about Ethiopia is like the fact that you know like your identity has remained and like even though you know there's lots of modernization that's happening with like the new housing areas that are being built up like people are still very like in touch with their culture and their heritage and they still practice these ceremonies and have been for like so many like centuries yes absolutely wow it's a mix of the old and the new and you can see that in the city oh like i love that like i have um my friend who, I had a friend, the last time I was in Ethiopia, I went with um, one of my friends who's from Zimbabwe and he's a photographer and he sent me the images that he that he took and there's this one image that's like my favorite where there's, um, so we climbed, that we so my parents lived in this area called Lebu, which is after Old Airport. Yeah. Which is so funny because this, this place didn't exist like the first time we lived in Addis because we lived in the <laughs> airport. Like this place was like, it didn't exist and then I came back and it was like, I didn't even recognize like where I was. <laughs> um but this image is essential behind um my parents house like you could just walk there was like um like a little hill and you could walk and there was an orthodox church on the top of the hill and yeah um so the image that my friend has is of a donkey and then you could like so when you stand on the hill you can literally see like you know you could see up to the african union in in um wow. airport and so there's a donkey standing and then there's like the city, like the city backdrop. So it's just like an ode to the old meets the new and how they're both coexisting. That's stunning. Yeah, I love that. So um, speaking of Addis, what should we, where should we go in Addis? So top places to see in Addis, for sure, number one is Mercato, which is Africa's largest open air market. There's everything from food to spare parts to everything you can think of can be bought there. It's very interesting, but definitely be careful for pickpockets. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, Siromeda is one of the biggest areas where there is local artisans and skilled tailors making traditional Ethiopian clothes. Um, it's beautiful to go there and you can even order a custom-made garment, which I do often if I'm looking for something specific. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't miss the National Museum because you've got to witness your oldest ancestor, <laughs> Lucy. She's there. Mm-hmm. Um, she's 3.2 million years old, so it'll make you feel young if you're feeling a little old. <laughs> Um, St. George Cathedral on the top of Mount Indoto which overlooks the city as well so it's a nice view Mm -hmm. and I think if I'm not mistaken St. George Cathedral is the oldest church in Addis Um, and then finally I would say probably something that I find so interesting and I enjoy it every time I manage to do this is to join the fitness craze at Mescal Square around 6am in the morning Mm -hmm. it's inspiring like the different people from all walks of life that go and train there running up and down the steps or having group sessions it, and to, not to mention that it's just under 2,400 meters above sea level so I just love seeing that people are so committed to their fitness wow I love um so I remember like so before we before we um went to Sanford school we were at my sisters and I were at Greek Greek school Greek international school and so our route like driving would be driving past Mesco Square and yes. we would see these people like running in the morning so like we're going to school and like we're complaining about oh we're so tired and i didn't sleep and then people like have been there from morning running exactly it's it's, it's unbelievable it's crazy but i mean also it ex- i guess it would explain why i mean ethiopia does have um if you don't know like some of the best um marathon and long distance runners in the Absolutely. world yeah yes I mean, Haile Selassie, Kenanisa Bekele. Um, Haile Gabra Selassie. <laughs> yeah, like every, you know, like, so you, if you ever want to, like, that's the secret, I think. Like, if you ever want to, like, 
win a marathon like just go to Ethiopia for like a year like and then train and I feel like the altitude helps you know because then it's like when you're running in like a regular place like you know like your lungs are just like used to it yes it, it really helps yeah. absolutely. and speaking of elevation I guess that's also a tip um so Ethiopia is quite high like you mentioned above sea level and um if you're like a first time visit there or if you come like so I come from a country which I mean Lusaka which is the capital city of Zambia is um pretty like flat so we don't have that many like high areas so like when you're going there for the first time you may experience like a bit of like dizziness or vertigo so like just be um it it, it does like you get used to it but like it's just like a little tip for anyone who's visiting um Addis for the first time yes so definitely climatize for even higher towards the mountains usually advise people to uh, get to add and spend a day or two climatizing so that um elevation before they go even further up yeah and um yeah do make sure you like you do a little hike like i love that was one of the things i really loved doing that was like my sunday ritual with my parents like we would love. on sunday would like um hike up the the, the the little mountain behind our house and then when we'd walk like when coming down those like a at cowdy's like a coffee shop which is like on the way back home so like that would be our reward like i'd stop by cowdy's <laughs> and get yourself a drink that's so nice yeah and a little um so Caldi's, in my opinion, Caldi's makes one of the best white forest cakes in Addis. Mm. It's so moist. Like I always tell people, I'm like, if you're gonna go like have a white forest cake, like I don't know if it's all the Caldi's, but the one in Lebu, like <laughs> it was so good. It's so so good. Like oh my gosh, like it's, it's blown away. Let us know as good as it used to be. Ah oh, man, disgusting. But um. So where, yeah. where where should people uh, stay? Where should they sleep if they're in Addis Ababa? Do you have any recommendations for us? So I would say, you know, as a local, I don't usually sleep out. But I know that the Radisson Blue is one of my favorite hotels. It's really central. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really close to my house. If you're staying there, give me a shout and I'll show you around myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's got really good location. It's very comfortable for business as well as pleasure. Um, Monarch Hotel as well is a, a smaller hotel, but it's found um, in a, closer to the airport in a very kind of happening downtown area, if that's what you're looking for. And I think I'd probably suggest there's lots of guest houses popping up. I've not been to any of them, but I have heard from friends and and um, colleagues that they are very nice and very warm and welcoming sometimes if you're not looking for kind of the hotel environment. Awesome. Um, and I would definitely recommend Sheraton Addis. Um, oh, and the Sheraton, of course, yes. Yeah, and um, the Hilton. I like the Hilton, too. Like, I like their little, um, like, the lobby area. Like, you can have a drink. It's a good place to have yeah. a drink, actually. Yeah. Yes, it is. And they have, I know, so before, when we lived in Addis, like, we'd go swimming there as well, like, on Sundays. Like, yeah, their pool I, is... down my favorite place to go swimming, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you were just speaking about, like, you know, um, being a local. So, I mean, how, what tips do you have for experiencing... Ethiopia like a local would you advise people to learn a few phrases in Amharic um, or to the region that you're traveling to I would say first and foremost when traveling to Ethiopia like keep an open mind there's definitely no other country like it so I find that when people come and try and compare it to other experiences in Africa they're either let down or a bit confused and I think that's the most important. It is a very, very distinctive country with tons of history and a very rich cultural heritage where every different region has its own history, its own language, its own dialect. 
So keep an open mind and enjoy it and delve really into the cultural traditions um, in every different region because once you embrace it, you'll really love it. Mm-hmm. And then I would definitely also agree that you should learn the basics in Amharic just because it'll make your experience a little bit more enjoyable. I know that Ethiopians really appreciate that and you'll be able to engage with people more. So you have to have a, just the small basics of how are you, thank you, asking how much something is and so on. Okay, so now is the time when I'm going to like test my Amharic on you and you're going to let me know if I still remember <laughs> a few key phrases. But okay, so if we start with, okay, so like, you know, like a greeting would be salam nesh for a, a female, right? For a female, salam nesh and for, for a man, salam nesh. Salam nesh. And um, I always remember this phrase, like when you're getting off a bus or like a public transport, then you say, wara jala. <laughs> yes, that's amazing. What I did, like, which means that there's somebody coming off. That's essentially what you're screaming. Uh huh. And um, let me see. To ask, like, how much something is, you would say sentinel. Yes, sentinel. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let me see. I don't remember. How would you ask, like, what time it is? So you say this. So you use the sint again. So you say sinsatno. Sinsatno. Yes. Okay, and just so people um, know, so at uh, so Ethiopia has a whole different um, local like calendar, um, mm-hmm. which we didn't mention before, um, which is typically seven years behind the regular calendar. Yes. Yes, and even the time is different as well. Correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. So our time readings are different. So, for example, if it's you know, six in the morning, you say it's 12 in the morning. If it's 7 a.m., you'll say it's 1 a.m. Essentially, you count every 12 hours and start again. Okay, cool. So people should know that just in case you get there and then someone t- someone asks you to meet them somewhere at a specific time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this happens a lot to foreigners working with Ethiopians. I always tell people to reconfirm that it's either Western or Ethiopian time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it, you know, it's so funny because even so for even countries that... Um, are they have like similar they have the same time so for instance like kenya and zambia like we both were colonized by britain but we zambians yeah. we've kept the military time so when you go to zambia like when you people still say like 13 hours 14 hours to mean like 1 p.m and 2 p.m so um my previous podcast yeah. guest winnie who is from kenya she came to zambia and she was so confused because in kenya they stick with like 2 p.m 3 p.m so she was going okay. she mentioned that she had a she was going to like um Livingston, which is the tourist capital of Zambia, by bus, and she asked her driver, like, "Oh, so what time? What time um, does the bus get to like my destination?" And he told her, like, "Oh, it's gonna get there at sixteen hours." So she was like so confused, like, "What? Is- <laughs> <laughs> you mean you mean the journey lasts sixteen hours?" She's like, "No, you'll be there at sixteen hours." That's so funny. Oh yeah, the joys of travel. <laughs> yeah. So it's always interesting that they're like little nuances and um, you know, with like even countries that, that that may be similar. And Ethiopia also has like 13 months as opposed to 12 months, right? Yes. The 13th month is quite short. I think it's 3 or 4 or 5 days, but um yes, it does. Okay. Cool. And um so continuing on with our phrases, to say thank you, you'd say amasaginalo. Very good, Baz. You've not forgotten anything. No, like I'm literally ready to come to your address tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You've literally nailed all of them. I think those would be the most important uh-huh. for sure. Awesome. Um, so what souvenirs would you recommend um, a visitor make sure they purchase um, in Ethiopia to remind them of their lovely stay? 
So the traditional shawls and traditional kind of fabric that I spoke about earlier are very Ethiopian. So there's gabis and then there's shawls and scarves, which are very popular and an, an amazing gift to bring home to friends as well because they're, they're very useful. Um, and they're made from soft, warm, kind of white cotton and usually include a colorful Ethiopian fabric. Um, embroidery or pattern at one point of, of the scarf. Mm-hmm. My favorite three, I would say, like three brands are Paradise Fashion, Membees, and Mafi Collections, and you can find them throughout the city, so that's easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say second would be Don't Leave With No Coffee. Definitely get coffee beans. And there's many amazing brands, Tomoka included, but many others that are coming up, luxury coffee brands as well. So that's always a good souvenir. And last, I'd say probably Ethiopian gold and silver as Ethiopian jewelry is, is quite um, famous as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess the place that's known for like selling um, jewelry would be Piazza, right? Yes. So Piazza is a region in Addis and it's very, all the goldsmiths and the silver stores can be found there. Some of the best. There's also others popping up, but I think as a first time tourist, that's probably your best bet. And yeah. definitely barter make sure that they're not uh, overcharging you find out from locals what the price program is so that you know that you're paying the right price and then if they are if you think they're overcharging you say machelesha right (laughs) (laughs) machelesha which means what's your last price essentially yeah 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 no so that's what i'm saying like you need to have your vocabulary down so that when you go there i mean you know you're like at least (laughs) Yes, you'll make them laugh and they'll probably give you a better price for that for that reason only. <laughs> yeah, no, and um, well, for me, people, like, when I get to the airport and they're, like, you know, getting my visa, then they see that I'm from Zambia. Like, people people still remember, like, one of our famous um, soccer players, um, Kalusha Walia. So oh, then yeah. they'll be like, oh, Kalusha Walia. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> That's amazing. Yes, we're very proud. I know. I know. <laughs> and I, I do have, I must say, I have an Ethiopian soccer jersey as well. Oh, look at you. I don't even have one. That's amazing. Well, you know, you have to um, support Africa. I don't. So, so as we're recording this, the Africa Cup of Nations is starting. Yes, um, it is. I don't know if Ethiopia is there. I know Zambia is not there for sure. I don't know. I'm actually not sure. I haven't been following, but it would be interesting to see. I don't think so. Yeah, well, I guess next there's next time. Yes, if they're not in it, yes, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and um, just speaking of Piazza, like, that's definitely an area that I would recommend that people explore like walk around there because it has like what cobble it still has like some cobblestone um like streets and um it's just it's a beautiful place and it's it's um it's it has like an italian um influence from when italians lived in ethiopia right yes it was one of the areas where they where they were occupying when they were trying to colonize the country so they developed it quite quickly and it has that even piazza is a is a an Italian derived word for like center, so it's it's beautiful. It's nice for walking around, and there's a lot of old buildings if you like architecture. Yeah, and um, I remember I used to go for classic French classes at Alliance Française, which is like close to that area, and they do still have like um you know like exhibitions and performances and yeah. stuff. So if you're into yeah. art, then you definitely have to go to Alliance Française. Absolutely. Yeah, and there are a bunch of other galleries as well, which I'll like put up in the show notes. But I do know that there's one in um, uh, old. I think it's old airport, which is called Leila Gallery. I don't know if you've been there, Greta. Oh, no, I haven't actually. Um, it's really it's really nice. It's called Leila Gallery, and it's run by um a lady. I forgot her name, but um, it's beautiful. Like the setup is like it's, I know it's near the the embassy of Ghana. 
Okay. Yeah. I'll definitely check it out. Yeah. So um, do check that out if you're there. There's also Design Week Addis, which is coming up next month. Yes, it is. So if anyone's an artist, definitely give me a shot because I will be there during Design Week. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so what are your 2019 travel plans? So, as you know, I travel quite a lot for work between my home um, of Addis and London and between my fieldwork in the southwest and northern regions of Ethiopia. But I think 2019, I will hopefully be going to Kenya, Uganda, the Middle East and the Far East at some point, mm -hmm. all for work. So what I like to do is if I'm there for work, I'll usually stay on and take advantage and also visit countries in the area. So nothing set in stone now, but um, those are my thoughts for now. Awesome. And we'll keep up with you. Um, so where can we find you on social media? So my Twitter and Instagram handle is at the Italiopian, which is a word that I created or came up with long ago. It's a mix between Italy and Ethiopian, so the Italiopian. And my website, the Chronicles of Italiopian .com. Um, it will be getting a huge revamp in 2019. I just haven't got around to it, but definitely stay peeled for that. Awesome. Um, thank you. Well, I'm actually, I'm not going to say thank you in English because, you know, I'm a saginalo, Greta, for joining me on the Muende Vino podcast. And I will definitely be following your work as always and your travels in 2019 and beyond. Um, in in um, Harik, do you know how, how someone would say, like, you know, travel well or go well? How would you say that? Welcome, Manget. Malcolm Menget. Okay, but as we say in Zambia, I wish you well on your travels. Um, so, Muende Bueno. Muende Bueno. Yes. Thank you. I'm a Oh, she.